I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Live Mike 220 is the time. Uh, We're in the final... Final stretch here, about 40 minutes left to live Mike before we sign off for the final time. Uh, head things over to Boyd Matheson on Monday, who will deliver inside sources from 1 until 3 weekdays here on KSL News Radio. But with 40 minutes left to go, we still have a job to do. And I have, uh, you know, ever since I knew that this would be my final day here on the air, I knew there was someone I wanted to be a part of uh, this episode, and that is my former boss. Uh, Congressman Rob Bishop. Sir, w- uh, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, thank you. I, I guess I'm flattered that I'm the last one you'd consider for your show. Oh, no. I mean, there are still more to come. You're not like, you're not like the <laughs> oh. last one. No, no, no. The, the, the cherry. I don't, I don't even get that. Oh, I no, don't no. even get that. Oh, okay, yeah. fine. One of the last, of course. Uh, <laughs> listen, when, when, I, when I ask how are you, uh, that carries a little extra weight right now. You, last time you and I spoke on, on these airwaves, uh, you had... Uh, you were in the midst of uh, recovering uh, from a, a mild stroke. Uh, what's the report you can give on, on folks today? How are you doing? Uh, much better. It's it's improving. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, my right side still has does not have the strength it had before, but it's like 80 percent. So I'm and I'm running. I don't need a walk or anything. So I'm I'm. It's getting better. Give myself another month, and I'll be able to move again. Hopefully. Outstanding. Uh, you and I used to play racquetball quite often. How, how long before we can do that again? That's what I'm hoping. I, I, I want a month. I, I could do it right now as long as I only have to run in one direction. <laughs> well, you were pretty stationary when we played, so <laughs> maybe you'll be all right. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, you, uh, they, don't, they don't know what that means, do they? Well, yeah. So here's the thing. Racquetball, if you don't remember, it was a sport popular in the 80s. And some of us are just catching up to it now. Uh, it, there are some players who will plant themselves in the center of the court and really just obstruct the movement of the other players. Uh, everyone has their own styles. Some people like to use quickness and tact and skill. Uh, the, the other the other class of players, they plant themselves uh, right there in the middle. And you are of the latter class. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Not to find the way you did, but it's, it's, if you're in the middle, it's easy to reach everywhere else and other people have to run around you. And that's fine with me. There you go. Uh, listen, we do have some, uh, some serious stuff to, to touch on here today. You are part of this independent redistricting commission, uh, the makeup of which was announced, uh, uh, early February, which will once you know you get your the, your hands on the census information, uh, you and this commission will be tasked with uh, drawing up boundaries for the the Utah's congressional districts. What does a process like that even entail? 
Well, it, it's going to be difficult. The Boundary Commission doesn't draw, uh, draw up maps. They draw up recommendations to give to the legislature on what the lines should or should not be. And since it's never happened in Utah before, where it's happened in um, other states, the commissions have been popular if they defended incumbents, incumbency, and they were unpopular if they didn't. So I don't know how this particular commission will work out. Uh, we have yet we're having our first meeting as a body very soon within a couple of weeks. Um, there will be staff that um, they, a request for from employment has been put out, and I think it closed for a director on Sunday. So there will be some staff that will be, have to be working with them. And uh, the sad part is usually the data that is used is available by April, first part of April, mid-April latest. This will be available, we're now until probably by the end of August, maybe not, though, into September sometime, which makes it very, very, uh, very, very short area because the legislature has got to approve something in December. So the the likelihood of of the recommendations coming from uh, the redistricting commission on which you will sit, uh, forwarded onto the legislature, and that vote cast. When is when is the earliest likelihood that these uh, boundaries will be will be relevant or or in place? I should say. Well, like I say, our recommendation will legislature. We've got to give them time as well to do their job. You're going to have to have the new boundaries by the first of the year, because that's when people start going out, they're gathering signatures, and they've got to know where the districts are. So that means it has to be passed by the legislature, everything done in December. So you've got that short time window for both the legislature as well as this commission, uh, basically roughly September through the end of November, to do a mountain of work. And that's going to be extremely difficult to do. Uh, There will not be the kind of thought process that I think has had in other years, simply because there won't be that time. And, and look, I've, I've been involved in redistricting efforts for the past uh, four cycles that we have had them. And, uh, and this will be probably the most problematic and challenging of all of them. What, uh, what elevates that level of, pro- uh, of problem? Why, why will this be difficult? Well, the time commitment, as well as coming up with criteria of what's going to be important. Um, you know, it, it used to be at one particular period of time, it was just having uh, population equality was the most important concept until they started drawing get minority majority congressional districts. So then I think the court said, no, no, continuity is going to be important as well as population equality. Uh, the compactness of the district has to be there. Trying to abide by geopolitical line, boundary lines is important. Um, and, and there has to be a philosophy you go into this process that we as a commission have to decide, as well as the legislature, as which of those priorities are most important, because you're going to violate some of them, so you have to rank them. The same concept when it comes to congressional districts. There have been people that said there needs to be separate urban and rural districts. There have been people who have said there needs to be urban and rural districts within each district, so that a congressman is required, whether he or she likes it or not, to represent both urban and rural issues and interests of the state. I have seen other states that don't do that, and they've always had problems with the delegation. I've seen it in Utah where we have not valued that, and there are problems in Utah. And I have seen where Utah has had both all congressional districts sharing both urban and rural areas, and it really does have a lot of very promising, positive outlooks and, and uh, 
and outcomes because of that approach. Is this responsibility which you and the rest of the commission bear, is this one of those circumstances where uh, success is measured by uh, upsetting everyone with the outcome ultimately? <laughs> that's that's the easiest way. I mean, look, a lot of people talk about district lines being gerrymandered. And, and by the way, the name is gerrymandering, not gerrymandering. Good for you. Uh, yes. Named after Elbridge Gerry, not Elbridge Jerry. <laughs> so the, the gerrymandering has been called, but most people um, claim gerrymandering only when their side didn't win. And that's the excuse they make for having not appealed to the electorate. So usually Gary, the charge of gerrymandering is highly uh, suspected. It's, it's, there's no definition of it. It's in the eye of the beholder, and a lot of people throw it around with it without much, much, uh, much caution in how they use that term. Well, uh, I, I look forward to, to watching this process play out, even with its truncated timeline. Uh, and if I'm honest, I don't envy the responsibility you bear right now. I know that uh, it will make you and all the rest on this commission uh, likely the target of criticism. Uh, and I, you know, I wish you the best of luck navigating this and uh, you know fighting for the priorities you feel well, are important and ultimately uh, making recommendations to the state legislature. Well, if I can, if I can do one postscript right here, sure. um, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm actually not necessarily that happy that you're leaving KSL and going back. Although <laughs> it's going to be personally great for you and for your family, and you'll be a wonderful addition to the Senate staff because you know what's going on there. But the reason I appreciated having you out here is because you understood how things in Washington work. And I've read and heard a lot of reports and read articles that I just consider to be naive in the way they try to describe what's happening in Washington and what is or is not happening in Washington. And that's one of the things that you were able to work through. So I was I was very happy to see how you instantly understood that some of the things that we hear and read about just that they don't happen that way. And and that voice of understanding is actually going to be missed here in Utah. So I, I, I'm happy for you. I'm not happy for us. Well, boss, uh, those are kind words. Thank you for sharing them, and uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you. And, and I will stay in the middle of the court. <laughs> You're that kind of player. Yeah, uh, whatever it takes to win. There it is. Uh, former co- well, you didn't do much on that. Uh, former <laughs> former Congressman Rob Bishop, uh, my guest here on the final episode of Live Mike. We'll take a break real quick, and when we come back after the newscast, uh, I will be joined by Andy Field of ABC News to give us an update on the goings on in Washington D.C. right now surrounding the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol, which has left one United States Capitol police officer uh, dead and another in the hospital. Those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? 
That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.